What's going on, everyone? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors at Renaissance. Thanks so much for joining us on our online service. Uh, before we get started for today, I want to start us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, right where we are, sitting on couches, laying in bed, uh, on our tablets, on our iPhones, on our laptops, on our TVs, Father, I pray that you would use this medium to connect with us, to, to lead us, to direct us, to comfort us, to encourage us. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot are all the places that I have traveled and want to travel to when this whole pandemic is over. And one of my favorite trips of all time was in Mexico City this past summer. My family and I took a sabbatical from work, and for nine weeks, I had nothing to do but to relax and to enjoy myself. And the first stop for the Rices was Mexico City. About two weeks into the trip, I had worked really hard to find my favorite taco place, and we found it. And there's a lot of restaurants, but my favorite taco places were always the taco stands on the street. Now, there was this one taco stand on the street that had the best tacos, and one day, we were sitting outside, we had a balcony in the apartment that we rented, and my kids were eating, nobody was complaining, and I was looking out at Mexico City, eating these amazing tacos, and I thought to myself, this is the life. I don't know what I would have added to that situation to make anything any better. And all of us have had these moments where life was just so sweet, it felt so good, that that moment felt like the pinnacle of human existence. I've also had other moments in life that I've left saying to myself, this is the life. Where it was so sweet, it was such a, a great moment that I cherished it. One of these days came when I was a family court attorney and before becoming a pastor, I practiced law and did family court. And I had one client that I knew didn't do it. And the county's office was trying to throw the book at this kid for a crime that he did not commit. And through a lot of hard work and a lot of diligence, we got him off. And I'll never forget the look on the county attorney's face when the judge told us that we were free to leave. And my client had the biggest smile on his face. That day, in my car on my way home, I thought to myself, this is the life. Now, before those two moments, I wasn't dead. I had been alive. But there are some moments of heightened pleasure, of heightened value that when you look back on them, they just feel like, man, this is the pinnacle of human existence. We're looking at a scripture today that's going to push that a little further and redefine what is the life? What does it mean to, to live? Now, Paul, the author of this book called Philippians that we've been in the last couple of weeks, he defines it like this. And here's what he says in verse 21 of the first chapter. He says, for me to live, this pinnacle of human expression and experience, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, that's a, a, an interesting scripture for a number of reasons. And we're going to unpack a lot of that today. But a lot of us, even hearing that scripture, some of you are immediately encouraged and you, it's automatically kind of pointing your attention back to the heart of the Christian message is that at the end of the day, the goal is that we get God and not that we get the resource, but that we get the source. For others of us, it kind of sounds unattainable. And you might even be thinking to yourself that this guy, Paul, is on, in another planet. He's in another world. And it doesn't feel like something you could ever say. But there are others of you who might even be bothered by these words. And I want you to pay attention to the things that bother you. Oftentimes, the truth is something that can set us free, but sometimes it makes us uncomfortable in the process. So if that's you, don't turn off the TV just yet. Stick around with us. 
What is Paul saying? Paul is essentially getting to the heart of the Christian message. One of the things that I've been thinking about this week is that so many times we, we hover around uh, we hover around Christianity, but we're not actually penetrating the source of what God wants for us to have. And here's what Paul is leading us to today, that the source of his life, the meaning, is Christ himself. There's a, a story about the 1960s and this whole space race that we had internationally. And in the 1960s, uh, the Soviet Union put out an aircraft to go to Venus. Uh, on their way to Venus, they got pretty close because, and they were trying to determine whether or not there could be human life uh, on other planets. They got a bunch of measurements and uh, everyone at the space station and everyone in the Soviet Union was thrilled with the results that they got. And as the aircraft, aircraft got pretty close to Venus's surface, they thought that it had landed and crashed into Venus and taken some really reliable samples to let us know whether or not there could be life on that planet. Years later, what they found out was that their aircraft never made it to actual Venus. What happened was 15 miles before it actually hit into the surface of Venus, it lost signal. And all of the results that they got weren't from the actual planet of Venus. They were from about 15 miles away from the core of the planet. Scientists now, now understand that all of the data that they got was unreliable because what that aircraft, uh, what that spaceship reported was not from the core of the actual planet. It was just something that was hovering around it. This scripture is the core of Christianity. Uh, this past week, I, I even contemplated not including this, uh, this scripture in our sermon series. And I had a personal mini revival this week as I read through it and thought about all of its implications. This scripture is the heart of Christianity. And for a lot of people, all that we have is our readings from 15 miles away from the heart. And what Paul is doing for us today is he's taking us into the heart and the lifeblood of what Christianity is. For some of you, and you're new to faith, uh, all that you really know are other Christians and the way that they act and the way that they behave. And that's a, a good starting point, but that's, that's not the center of what this thing is all about. For some of you who are Christians, uh, all you think about is your behavior and are you improving and it's a good thing to improve. It's a good thing to have good character. It's a good thing to grow in faith, but that's not the center of Christianity. For others of you, it's your doctrines and the, your beliefs and how much you understand the Bible and different things about Jesus, and that's good and well. We should grow in our understanding of who God is, but that's not the center and the core of what Christianity truly is. James Boyce, a theologian, has written a good deal about uh, the book of Philippians, and here's what he says about that. He says, Christianity is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing about Christianity will be rightly understood until there is a faith in Christ and a personal relationship with him. Nothing about Christianity, nothing about your walk, nothing about your day, nothing about scripture makes sense outside of the lens of this core central fact of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is pointing us to today is saying this, for me to live is this person. It's not what other people do. It's not what I do. It's not what I know or can understand, it's Christ. Now we've been talking about this concept of joy and what Paul is talking about today is something that's meant to lead us towards real joy. Now for those of you who are new, let me catch you up on our definition of joy. Joy is a settled state of confidence and hope. Joy is bigger than happiness because happiness is a result of what happens to you. Joy is something that flows from you. One of the best analogies to joy is a buoy in the ocean. 
Buoys in the ocean float above the surface and no matter what storms, rain, wind, uh, whatever's going on around it, they're still there and they'll still be present because they're anchored to something deep below the surface, oftentimes the ocean bedrock. Now, what Paul is leading us to in this conversation for the rest of today and for this entire series are things that would make us like buoys in the ocean, that no matter what is happening around us, we would have this settled state of confidence and hope. So settled that no matter what is going on around us, you and I would be able to remain floating and we would have something inside of us that keeps us alive and keeps us afloat. Now, it's the way that you define life that will allow or deny you the ability to have joy during difficult seasons in life. Here's where we're going today, and here's where Paul is pushing us in the scripture. The way that you and I define life, the way that you and I fill in that blank, for me to live is blank. That's gonna determine uh, your ability and my ability to, to thrive in our faith, to endure difficult seasons with joy, to, to truly have this confidence and hope. All of us need a meaning of life that difficulties and trials cannot take away from us. So what's, what's my definition of life? Um, you know, the, the preacher answer is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And that is true every other Tuesday. The rest of the days I struggle with something called achievement. And for most of my life, for me to live, for me to feel settled, for me to have value, for me to have significance, for me to have security in life, it's achievement. I need to achieve, I need to do good things in order to feel like I matter, in order to feel like I'm secure, and in order to feel like I have value in life. Uh, I've traced this back to when I was a kid, and this is not a traumatic moment or anything, but I remember the earliest moments of when this was formed in me, and I was trying to hang out at the lunch table with my older brother and his friends. And I remember going to the lunch table and trying to make everybody laugh. And no high school senior wants to be around a little freshman or, or sophomore. And my brother would always basically just shoo me away from the table and kick me out. But there were days when I was making people laugh. And then when my brother went to kick me away so he can talk to some girls, uh, his friends would say, no, 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 let him stay. It was in those moments where I started to believe that what I do determines my value and my standing. That if I do a good job and I make people laugh, then they'll accept me and um, they'll embrace me. But if I don't do a good job, then I'm discardable. I certainly remember days where the jokes didn't land and he and his friends would kick me away from the table and everyone would just kind of turn their back and resume their conversations. And since those moments, I've, I've started to believe that who I am, my security, my value, and everything about me is all based on my achievement. One of the things that made this pandemic so difficult for me is that it took away all of my previous ways that I would measure my achievement. No longer am I looking at faces, no longer am I working with people directly, I'm seeing people through uh, digital Zoom screens and uh, I'm looking at views on YouTube and all these different things and I don't even know what that means. And this past week I was really struggling until I hit this point and I realized that in a lot of ways, the reason I wasn't settled the reason I didn't have confidence, the reason I did not have hope is not because anything was wrong with God. It's because my definition of life was achievement. This past week, along with millions of other people, I've been watching The Last Dance on ESPN on Sundays, uh, the story of the second best basketball player of all time, uh, Michael Jordan. 
Don't send me hate mail. Uh, we'll say that Mike is the GOAT for just the purposes of the series, and we'll get back to arguing later. But Phil Jackson uh, said a quote in The Last Dance that while everyone else, else was enjoying Michael Jordan and basketball, I was sitting on my couch in like deep reflection. Here's what he says. He says, you're only a success the moment you do a successful act. So these acts have to be repeated all the time. Now, why was I feeling so unsettled? Because you're only a success when achievement is your meaning of life. You only have that meaning while you're doing these successful acts. And the second it's over, it's done. For others of you, it's not achievement, it's security. And sometimes that security is financial, other times it's in your health, and other times it's in your relationships. Now, it's good to have financial security. It's good to have relationships and good solid relationships. It's good to have your health. But when those things become the meaning of life for you, it's gonna be really difficult for you to have joy. And here's why. As so many of you know right now, all of those things can be taken from you in the blink of an eye. So many people have lost their financial security because they've lost jobs or been furloughed and there's massive amounts of economic instability ahead of us. Many of us have lost our health and our health is certainly in jeopardy with this pandemic. Others of us have lost loved ones and we've lost people and all of us have certainly lost our ability to connect with people in the same way that we had previously. So it's a bad idea, it's always a bad idea to put your hope in something that's so fragile and that can be taken away from you. One of my favorite things about PS76, the place that we meet uh, for worship gatherings, is every single Sunday it feels like there's always a chair that breaks. You don't know which chair it is until some poor soul sits down in that chair and they discover through a loud crack that that chair cannot bear their weight. Now, one, I can't wait to get back to that, to that auditorium and see all your faces and worship alongside you. But two, we gotta do something about those chairs. Here's what the person finds out when they sit down in a chair and they realize it's broken, that that chair, even though it looked good from the outside, cannot bear their weight. And it's not anything wrong with you. Maybe you've had too, maybe you've had too many quarantine snacks, maybe not. But it's not anything wrong with you. It's the chair in and of itself is broken. Now, when we look to our achievement or, or other things for our security that can be taken away from us that are so fragile, it's not, our, it's not that, that there's something wrong with us per se, it's that these things were never intended to bear the weight of our identity, of our purpose, of our security. And if we insert those things that the meaning of life is achievement or security or any of these things, we're gonna find ourselves crashing down at some point. All of those things are temporary, and all of those things are extremely fragile. There's a scripture in Jeremiah that I've read it a lot of times, and every time I read it, it speaks to me, and it really convicts and cuts me deep because it speaks right to where I'm at most of the time. And here's what God tells his people through the prophet of Jeremiah. He says, my people have committed two sins. First, I would be like, God, I think you're doing that new math because I've done way more than two. Um, but the source of these sins is something that is, is really concerning for me. He says this, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Here's what he's saying through the prophet of Jeremiah. When we look for our, our identity, our security, our affirmation, our approval, our meaning of life, the things that make us feel like we, uh, that life is worth living, when we look to other things for that, what we're doing is we're actually rejecting God and we're creating our own cisterns, our own pots that can't hold water. 
And right now is a really painful reminder of how much these other pots can't hold water. What Paul is pointing us to here is something that is permanent. Again, joy is something that is a settled state of confidence and hope. And just like a buoy in the ocean, the reason that it's able to remain uh, above the surface at all times is only because it's fixed to something durable and permanent beneath the water. Jesus, his meaning of life is that solid rock. What Paul is telling us here is incredibly powerful, but you and I have to understand what was going on in Paul's world and what allowed him to say the things that he's telling us today. So the first thing that Paul is experiencing and something that you, you might miss if you read over the passage of scripture too quickly or if you read through Philippians too quickly is that Paul in losing all, the, all of these other things actually allowed him to see Christ more clearly. Isn't it something that in the moments where you've lost some stuff, you're allowed to see what's really important, uh, what really matters. I think back to the last Sunday that we gathered together. And on a Sunday morning at Renaissance, when we're gathering together, my mind is always pretty frantic. There's always a million things going on. And I remember seeing my parents in the hallway that Sunday. And I saw my dad, I slapped him on the shoulder, and I ran to go you know, refill the donuts or talk to someone about something that was happening for the service or to make sure that the rear speakers, uh, that people can hear the speakers in, in the back. And I had all of these concerns on my mind that consumed me, and I wasn't able to see what was truly important. Now, having gone seven or eight weeks without hugging my parents, if I were to rewind that moment, I wouldn't care about how the speaker sounded in the service. I wouldn't have cared about the water supply or the donut holes. I would have stopped to hug my parents. Now, losing that ability to, to be able to do that has allowed me to see what really matters. What does it matter if there's water or if there's not water? What matters is my ability to connect with the people that I love. I've talked about this a few times that if I would have known um, then what I know now about our inability to come near each other, I would have stayed at church until 7 p.m. that night talking to everyone face to face, uh, staring deeply into their eyes until it was very awkward. Uh, why is that? Because it matters, it's important. And having lost that, I'm now able to see what really matters. What's the context of the scripture? Paul has lost a lot. He's been in prison for about four years and he's lost a couple of things. One, he's lost his financial income. So this book of Philippians is a thank you letter to this church that is supporting him financially. He's no longer able to provide for himself. He's also in some ways lost his reputation. If you rewind this uh, chapter to verses 15 through 17, you see that Paul is starting to talk about other preachers who are trying to cause trouble for him. And Paul, once this highly regarded apostle, people are now throwing dirt on his name. And Paul says, as long as Christ is being preached, I'll rejoice. So he's lost his financial resources. In some ways, he's losing his reputation, and he's definitely lost his freedom. At this point, Paul had been in and out of jail for about four years in different places. And now, after having lost his, his financial resources, his reputation in some ways, and also his freedom, now Paul, after losing these things, is now able to see what's truly important. Now, for all of us, I, I hope it doesn't take for us to be imprisoned. Uh, to see the, the supremacy of Christ. But I do know this one thing. We've talked about this pandemic being in some ways a blessing for us. And why is it potentially a blessing for us? Not because of all of the, the sadness and the death and the disease around us. That's not a good thing. But because for many of us, 
we're having to, in losing things, we're now able to see what truly matters. And if that's you, if you're, able, if you're now sensing that, I don't want you to waste this moment. I don't want you to go through your days drowning yourself in Netflix. Uh, I, I want you to push in and press forward towards God in ways that you never have before, because this might be a moment where you're able to see God and, and Christ and all of his splendor in, in ways that you couldn't see him before, not in spite of losing other things, but because you've lost those other things. That now, having, having lost some stuff, you're now able to see and don't waste this moment. Another thing that we see uh, about Paul that's allowed him to get to this place is something that you see in the early church over and over again. It's that in the early church, they had a really eternal perspective. Their entire life, their conversations, their church was centered around the resurrection of Jesus. And they believed that right now, the here and the now is not all that there is. So they were able to have joy and have this settled hope and confidence, even when things were being taken away from them, because they were looking to not just this life, but also the life that is to come. They believe in the resurrected Jesus that had all the power, and he was coming back to resurrect them as well. This past week, I was reading a book by a pastor in New York City named John Tyson. Shout out to John Tyson at Church of the City. And it really convicted me to think about how much I look to this right now moment to be my everything. And since I'm looking to this world and this moment to be my everything, I don't have this settled state of confidence and hope because so much is undefined. And I have this, this fear of missing out that's plaguing me. But when you look at what Paul is saying and you get the context of what he's experiencing, he really does have this eternal perspective. And it's a challenge for me, and I hope it's a challenge for you to think about uh, this version of Christianity that is centered on Christ and is rooted not just in the here and the now, but also in all of eternity. And here's what Paul is saying. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. John Tyson in his book talks about this fear of missing out that many of us experience. And he says, because we live in a constantly connected world, we are continually aware of the lives others are living around us. We are bombarded by a stream of images depicting leisure, travel, escape, sabbaticals, early retirement, cruises, road trips, nobody's saying cruises anymore, road trips, graduations, promotions, and parties, to compare the monotony of our ordinary existence with this litany of spectacular creates a deep sense of unrest and dissatisfaction with all of our own lives. And when we take our eyes off of eternity, we, were, we are swept into a frenzied effort to keep up with others. This world will never be able to fill you in the ways that God himself can, only God can. At best, everything that you and I can create are just like Jeremiah described. They are broken cisterns, cisterns that cannot hold water. There's an old Christian author named C.S. Lewis, and he says it like this. People are not born with desires unless satisfactions for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. We feel thirsty and there is such a thing as water to quench our thirst. But if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true home, which I will not find until after death. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that home and to help others do the same. One of the things I love about Renaissance are all of the amazingly accomplished people we have in our church, in our community, people who are at the top of their game in education, in finance, in acting, uh, in all these different fields. And when I talk to them about all of these wonderful accomplishments that they have, once upon a time, they thought that this accomplishment that they would reach would have satisfied them. And when they get to the top, it was okay, but it didn't satisfy them. Now, what is the most probable explanation for people who have achieved so many things, which are good in and of themselves, but they don't satisfy? It's that you and I were made for something else. We were made to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, from our eternal King Jesus. For me, I've had all of these benchmarks in my life of things that I thought would fully and finally satisfy me, and when I got them, they didn't do it. Now, you and I need something in our life that will give us a meaning and a value and an identity that suffering or plague or pestilence or pandemic that nothing can take away. And Paul is pointing us to this thing that will give us this real joy. And he's saying, my meaning of life and your meaning of life needs to be Christ. Now, one of the challenges of living in a life that is post-industrial revolution is that we kind of expect things to happen quickly. Because we can mass produce car doors at a blistering pace, uh, we think that our spiritual growth should happen in the same way. And you replacing your fill in the blank with Christ is probably not gonna happen next Wednesday. What needs to happen is God needs to form us over and over again through his word over time. I think about the conversations I have with my son, my oldest son, and I'm shaping him over and over again over time through my words to him about the things that he should value, the things that he needs to run away from, uh, how he should be as a boy that's growing up to be a man. And the same thing is true for us with God, our Heavenly Father, that God wants to shape us over and over again through his word, and that's gonna take some time to happen. I wanna end us today with some words of encouragement. One of these is that if you can do it, to find some place in your calendar and in your apartment to have some moments of solitude and quiet reflection to allow God to speak to you that will crowd out all the other competing things in your life that are vying for significant security and the ultimate meaning in your life. In these moments, I want you to pray and to replace and to do this prayer that I do sometimes, which is I think about the thing that I'm afraid of losing and I say, I replace the what if this happens with an even if this happens. And God, even if this happens, you're still faithful, you're still good, you're still in control. And doing that small prayer helps me to really truly root myself and to be able to have this joy, this settled confidence and hope. And in these moments, I also want you to let God speak to you through his word. And I wanna end today with some scriptures that are meant to root us in our uh, identity, our security, and all the things that we are searching for and to put it in the right, right place. There's one scripture in 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, it says that for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. If you're looking for something to give you value, uh, don't look for it from your job or your relationships or any of those things. All of those things can be taken away from you in a blink of an eye, but look to God for those things. There's a story about the 756 home run ball that Barry Bonds hit, and uh, it sold for over $750,000. Now, the raw materials of that are probably worth about $2, and it sold 
for $750,000, why? And the value of something is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for it. What are we told in scripture? That God was willing to pay the, the, the blood of his own son, Jesus, for you. And to look for our value anywhere else is unwise at best. There's another scripture where it shows us where we can get our significance, why we matter. And Jesus says this in Matthew 10, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God calls us significant. Where can we get our security? Jesus tells us in John 10, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch us out of the father's hand. Achievement and value and significance and purpose, these are good things, but we need to find them in the right place. And that's gonna allow us to have joy. So this week, please make sure that you're making time to root yourself in God, to anchor yourself deep below the ocean floor so you and I can have joy during difficult times. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, uh, this week, I, I pray that you would allow us to hear from you so that we can replace our fill in the blank with you. And we can say for us to live is Christ. We can find our significance and our value and our meaning and our identity in you. And that meaning cannot be taken away from us. So we ask this all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.